Only tell them that she of the Greek cattle salutes them and has sent them two fair southern children for the autumn feast. That's really kind of you. Thank you, thank you very much. Welcome to Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. This is Glumpuddle. And I'm Jim Fan. Oh, who am I? Oh, yes. I'm the star of this podcast because it's the Silver Chair Podcast. Your <laughs> humble host, Rillian. But when we talk about the, the chair silver, I'll be the host, I'll be the star of that one, I guess. <laughs> yes, so. exactly. Um, we are continuing our discussions of BBC's 1990 television miniseries adaptation of The Silver Chair. And uh, we're on to episode three today. So uh, episode three begins with Jill and Scrub staring at Puddle Glum's hat on the ground for about 20 seconds or so. And, uh, <laughs> and then he just crawls out. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> crawls out. <laughs> They're wondering if the rest of him has been crushed. And spoiler alert, it has not been crushed. But Puddle Glum kindly waits until the opening credits are done before he comes out from behind the rock. Very considerate of him. It was really nice. Are you a good Marsh Wiggle or a bad Marsh Wiggle? <laughs> we, we've, we've got to get those credits in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, they cross the giant's bridge. They meet the Lady of the Green Kirtle, and they make it to Harfang. And the cliffhanger ending this time is the kids and Puddleglum looking out the window and seeing the words "Under Me." And spoiler alert: I actually really liked this cliffhanger. A lot of the other ones in this BBT series have felt really forced or contrived. Yeah. Probably the previous one would be one of the worst. With is Puddleglum dead? And of course, the very opening seconds of the next episode. Uh, no, he's not. But <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, did it, maybe they actually killed off Aragorn. We're really, really wondering. Maybe he's dead. No, no, we're not. No. Well, they do wait that. in two towers. They get they, they give it like twenty minutes or so before they reveal. I think. Whereas here, they give it literally the very next scene. Now, course, nobody. Sorry, <laughs> no. it's like nobody, no death. Now we are technically watching this. We are technically watching this episodically. So I guess we should take into account that it might have been a week or more where you had to wonder. You know, when you're waiting for the next episode, when they were first aired, could have been a week or more where you're going, maybe Paul Oglum actually is dead. Um, but he wasn't. Here's the question, though. You're going to show like a preview next time on The Silver Chair. How are you not going to show Puddle Glum? Oh, that's well, a good point. If, we, uh, if we're going to use, again, comparison to Two Towers, the Two Towers <laughs> did have Gandalf in the, in all the trailers. so Which is a terrible mistake. Don't, but... don't start that rabbit trail. <laughs> Okay, so in the past, uh, I think this has worked pretty well, where we each give our favorite thing and least favorite thing, and then we'll go into our overall thoughts and say if we like this episode. I will start with my least favorite thing, just because I'm going to have largely positive things to say. Spoiler alert. Um, My least favorite thing in this episode, again, it comes from me as a Puddle Glum fan. I just found myself getting continually irritated at what a pushover Puddle Glum was, to the point where I was like, why is he even here? Get as quickly as we can to Harfang. Ooh. I don't think we should go to Harfang. Not safe. Oh, really? Besides, I don't know what a gentle giant is, and Aslan's signs made no mention of staying with giants, gentle or otherwise. Now look here. We're sick of the wind and the rain and sleeping on cold, hard earth. We want to enjoy a bit of warmth and comfort. Now, we know you're supposed to be our guide, but if you won't come with us, then we'll have to... We'll... Well, then, we will go to... Ah, fang. 
he seems to be really putting his frogged foot down on we're not going to Harfang initially. Then the moment Eustace kind of hints, implies that, well, maybe we're just going to go on without you then. He's like, okay, to Harfang. Just immediately. Yeah. Now, I understand that <laughs> there's a lot of times in the book that all, all those things technically happen in the book where they do he's outvoted by the other two. But it still feels like it's Polo Glum making an intellectual decision that, okay, I'm outvoted. We should stick together. So I am going to go ahead and go along with what the company has voted for, even though I don't want to do it. Whereas here, it just seems like he's just a total pushover and easily manipulated. So He has this really kind of like... <laughs> Which, that's a really good impression. And again, I hate that because he, he does that when he's... He's, he does that when he's being. Yeah, he does that when he's about to get on the Giants Bridge. He also does it when he's about to uh, try to cross the little creek. Like yeah, the rainfall exactly. creek is not, not. That's not the one no, that's not a river. That's his noise no when bridge. he's. That's his noise when Tom Baker decides to play a different character, not Puddle Glum, and be a complete coward. Maybe he's playing Glum Puddle. I don't think I've done that before. <laughs> I don't know. And I think in the previous episode, I said, you know, this is not book Puddle Glum, but I'm still enjoying Tom Baker's performance. And I'm still kind of enjoying this character in the context of this particular series, even though it's not the Puddle Glum I know from the book. Whereas in this one, I did just as a viewer, I found myself going, why is he even here? Yeah. All he does <laughs> is just get pushed around. What's interesting to me is watching this and realizing how much Tom Baker's Puddle Glum influenced my reading of the book. Dun, dun, dun. I know. Inception. I, I, I read the book first. Babyception. I did see this. I did see this as a kid, you know, and, and as a kid, I got, I saw this a number of times. You know, we had like a VHS recorder, you know, <laughs> you, know you would like, and you see get like a little snippet of a commercial a minute ago. You didn't realize that they were like five seconds too late, you know. Kids these days, they just don't know. Ask your doctor if this is right for you. <laughs> dun, 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 you I was know? always anyway. determined and we were when we would record something on TV, I was always determined that those commercial breaks would be as seamless as possible. So I had my finger on the trigger. Once I took the remote from my parents, it was a lot better. But <laughs> but it was like there were times I remember reading the books like this puddle glum is different than Tom Baker. And again, I, I kind of liked his performance. I thought that he had a lot of the affect, the general uh, demeanor. I thought he did a, a pretty good job on it. And I guess I can only be so critical of some of the dialogue because he's not writing the dialogue. But the puddle glum in the book is a it's just a better character. It's a more interesting character than uh, the one in the show. Yeah. And I'm, tr I'm trying to hold back because maybe when I get to the end and puddle glum has his great speech to the lady of the green curl and it all pays off, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to come to the conclusion that, um, you know, hey, this is not exactly the Puddle Glum from the book, but it's still a good character in this version of the story. And it still serves the story um, that they're telling, even though it doesn't honor my favorite character. So um, I'm, I'm still open to maybe enjoying this version of the character, even though it's not the one, even though it's not exactly C.S. Lewis's version. But uh, so, yeah, that was that was my worst thing. And honestly, most of the rest of this episode, I feel pretty positive about. And most especially, my favorite thing was just kind of uh, the Harfang Giants in general, but both as characters and on a technical level, I think we're pretty successful. What kind of creature do you call yourself? I'm a marsh wiggle. Please, sir. We are two southern children, and this is Mr. Puddle Club. And the Lady of the Green Kirtle salutes the King of the Gentle Giants. And she sent us to your autumn feast. If it's convenient, that is. <laughs> well, that's different, that is. 
The autumn feast. <laughs> well, you best come into the lodge while I'm sending word to His Majesty. As characters, um, I think they, not perfectly, but for the most part, pulled off that balance where you feel very uneasy and creeped out. And you're like, oh, they've got to be up to no good. These can't be nice characters. But Puddleglum, Jill, and Scrub don't look like total idiots at the same time. They strike that balance of winking at the audience and letting us know these guys are up to no good without it looking like, well, then why don't Puddleglum and Jill and Scrub figure it out and, and get out of there immediately? I'm kind of like that balance you kind of have to strike with the Turkish delight scene in the, li the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where you want the audience to know, yeah, this is an evil witch, but not make Edmund look like a total fool. Mm. I think they hit that balance pretty successfully. And on a technical level, I was impressed. Um, look, the compositing is obviously not great. Like, you still see the jaggedy lines and all that. Uh, I'm not saying it all looked photoreal by any means, but it didn't <laughs> pull me out of the story. When they were compositing the smaller characters in with the giants, it generally, I was able to follow the story. It's quite an amazing shot. Almost, the, It's one of the last shots in the movie where the kind of nurse giant lets in Eustace and Scrub into Jill's room and they 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 walk through the door and around the corner. It looked pretty like it had to look pretty believable to me. I got to say I am disappointed with the lack of initiative on BBC's part with the merchandising opportunities cuz I <laughs> want a puddle glum, a flailing puddle glum, a kicking puddle glum action figure. <laughs> I want a kicking puddle glum that I can just carry around. Yes, because of uh <laughs> The the scene where you know the giants pick them up and bring them to their rooms, and you have a Eustace action figure that it just looks like a Barbie Eustace doll, little Eustace doll. That doesn't then, work. The puddle glum was like, we <laughs> The puddle glum action figure kicking his feet. Yes, I've decided if I could have one prop from this BBC, these BBC productions, one piece of memorabilia, I want the puddle glum at puddle glum action figure with fast kicking action feature. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder how did they do? I mean, I, I should look at it a little more closely. I guess the actor that was holding him had some was like pulling on something or twisting something to make that or, happen. Or even, but I don't know. Just like that, it, it doesn't look know. like it though. Whatever. I mean, I thought that was reasonably <laughs> successful. That it it, it didn't it make me hilarious. go. It didn't make me go. It's not like the beavers where you're just like. Like with the beavers, <laughs> the beavers. There are no bowling pin. The beavers. bowling pin beavers. <laughs> well, it, that's always the standard to go by if we're gonna have a negative technical example. Because with the beavers, the drama of the line, the witch in the wardrobe, is: Are these actors playing the beavers going to make it through this story alive? Like that, that's the <laughs> like that, that's all you're thinking about the whole time. Whereas this, yes, yeah. I can tell it's a puddle gum doll with a, that's being puppeteered or something, but I wasn't pulled out of the story. I was just laughing, mainly laughing because it's so funny that they're holding Puddle Glum that way and treating him like he's just a pillow yeah. or something. That I'm mainly laughing at that, not at how um, silly it looks. And that, and in general, just the way the giants were approached, not just the compositing, not just a technical level, but you can just tell they really thought it through how they were going to pull off this illusion where, generally speaking, the Jill, Scrub, and Puddle Glum are shown in medium and wide shots, and the giants are generally shown in big close-up, so it really makes them feel bigger. I think they also use longer lenses for the travelers, and the giants, they use wider lenses, so they just... Uh, they just you just tell the shots in general are just planned out really well. So, um, and I, I got that kind of awe of wow, being in a in a giant city and that would be really scary. And I think the scale is about right as well. I think the I think the book says about as tall as an apple tree. 
are, are oh, the giants, yeah. Um, yeah. but not so tall. But not so tall as a telephone pole. I think they got the scale about right. It's not totally yeah. consistent. Yeah, they can't be so big that like you know because they had to they had to be small enough that like they could actually have pies for everyone with the two kids. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's the that's what I think. Like, that's a good point. Would this be enough people to go around? Nah, I guess so, you know, <laughs> flavoring. You know, it's like cherry. You know, it's like you, know, you have like you know cherry pie. It's not like you know. It's just cherries are eating you know it's a flavored thing so you're like eustace like in the book it says that he went ahead and read the recipe for how you prepare a man uh, yeah. you're morbidly <laughs> curious so yes i mean like yeah w- w- and i even thought uh the actor that played the porter who greets them at the door was really well cast i thought he just there was just something about his features and his uh, his expression yes what i like is that they, scary. they didn't quite make it like they're complete morons, but they also don't, they don't really try to hide the ball from the audience because the audience is like, oh, I get it. And like the way that they, they, the giant actors play it, it's like, it's supposed to be humorous, which is the best way to play it. I love the performances of the king and queen. There's a bit where, where the queen says something like, oh, let's take you to your rooms and you'll get toys and baths. And the king's just like, Mm-hmm. Like it's really exaggerated yeah. nod. Like, like, oh yes, it'll be it'll be great. It'll be awesome. And I um I so I, I yeah, generally there's a couple of parts where it was excellent. A, <laughs> quite. I, I loved his I loved his voice too. Yeah. I, I really just everything just about everything about the Harfang Giants I thought worked worked really, really well. Just on a script level, on a performance level, on a technical level. Uh not I'm not saying the effects are great or anything. But it they didn't pull me out of the story too much, which is more than you can say for a lot of the effects of BBC. So <laughs> Harfang Giants, thumbs up. There you go. Jim Fan, uh, what was your let's start with least favorite or favorite? What do you want to start with? Uh let's start with least favorite. Okay. I feel like my least favorite's very similar to what it was last time in that this episode as a whole was kind of weird in that the pacing still really irritated me. Really? I and it's weird because like there's a lot that goes on, but in a sense it almost felt like it was like dragging it out to get to a certain point. Like they like obviously they need to get a certain amount of material in so they can end it at that point. And I don't know. I found that I was like, okay, like where are we actually going with this? Like how far are we going? Because it seems like there's like a lot of stuff going on, but it's not really advancing the plot i don't know that's not my like super well thought out criticism honestly there wasn't a ton that i was like oh i don't like that in this episode um but i i guess like the up until the point where they meet the knight and the lady of the green kirtle i was like okay we just spent like 10 minutes i felt like 10 minutes of you just walking around and yeah that, that, that exaggerated is falling through gigantic bridges that you don't see until you just turn over to the other direction. It's like right there. <laughs> I'm like, okay, guys. If we break our necks getting down a cliff, at least we won't have to worry about being drowned Whoa. in the river. A giant's bridge. Could be a trap. Could be a trap. You've got to look out for enchantment in a place like this. That could just turn to mist and melt away. Just when we're out in the middle of it. Don't be such a wet blanket. Why shouldn't it be a proper bridge? It's only a model. <laughs> it's only a model. 
Yeah. When they were crossing the bridge, again, more good compositing. It was a great shot where they're looking down. You could see one of the holes in the bridge that scrub, you know, kind of cheesy, you know, almost. Yeah, it falls definitely through. had a feeling of like. That looked great. It's like, like, it like, like, it's like, dude, it's right there. It's not like, because I, I remembered, again, the video in my memory was different than the one I was experiencing. <laughs> uh-huh. I remember, like, oh, yeah, he goes across the bridge and like a, a stone falls out. But instead, it's like this giant gaping hole that he just like right. walks into. Uh-huh. There was a lot of people just like walking into holes in this episode. <laughs> That's true. Like, first Eustace, and then Jill just like turns around and she like falls into this Goes other trench. Goes down the trench. The letter E, supposedly. <laughs> but we don't know that yet. That's true. But there, there's a shot looking right down at the bridge. This guy. That, but there's a, just a really cool shot. Look, I mean, you gotta whenever there's great BBC effects, we should pause and acknowledge. I think yeah. make fun of them I so felt much. The, I felt the grandeur of the bridge. I felt the height of the bridge. It felt. I felt the danger. I'm not gonna like. It was all there. So my best part of the episode, and this is, I'm gonna put this with a caveat because I'm sure you guys will have thoughts. Um, I actually, ba- okay, again, this is watching this. And then remembering back, like, you know, my my memory from watching this 10 years ago, blah, blah, blah. The Lady of the Green Kirtle, I was actually really surprised at how much I appreciated the portrayal. Why, good day to you, travelers. Some of you are very young pilgrims to be walking this rough waste. We're looking for the ruined city of the giant. The ruined city? That is a strange place to be seeking. What will you do if you find it? Begging your pardon, ma'am, we don't know you uh, or your friend, your silent friend, and uh, we'd rather uh, we'd rather not discuss our business with strangers. Do, do you think we'll have a little rain soon? <laughs> well, children, you have a wise, solemn guide with you. Um, okay, so we'll just get the elephant out of the room out of the way. Yeah, the the diction and the accent is a bit it's a bit much. It's a bit wrong. Sorry, it's, it's the best bit, I can do. Yeah, it's it's a bit much, but like when I took that out of the equation, her like her her body language and her kind of like I don't know it just felt like she was exuding the kind of warmth that would again make me understand why Jill and Eustace would be like oh look at she's such a nice lady like she doesn't instantly give off massive creepy vibes I don't know I'm just saying I'm just Hmm. saying like you know and then once you like see you realize the night is right there okay the night's super creepy but i'm just saying like her in and of itself again i to me it was like okay it doesn't they made her seem nice enough that it doesn't make jill and eustace look like super stupid it's very subjective thing i felt that and again this is barbara kellerman who played the white witch in the line the witch the wardrobe and and the hag and prince caspian or barbara you gotta come back Come yeah, on, Barbara. Some kind of budgetary uh, thing uh, coming back as you get Lady to be in Green three Kirtles. films. That's how it works. She does roll her R's as described in the book. Um, it's a very subjective thing. Uh, I thought she was clearly very duplicitous and like a little weird. Um, whereas in the book, she, I think, I mean, it's a book, so I can kind of fill in the voice for myself and all that. But so yeah, I did feel she was a little too much. Like it, not not as create, not as much as. Um, the White Witch, when Edmund first meets her and she's 
ridiculously evil, obviously. <laughs> I did feel it was a little obviously evil, but that's a, it, 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 I would like to have seen them pull back a little bit. But that's a very subjective it's thing. So long, so uh, as far as her body language, uh, her body language for me was trying not to fall off this horse because it's so windy out here. Um, <laughs> the hair just whipping. I yeah. whip my hair back and forth. I thought I, I bet you for every line there were five other takes where her hair was like was flying in her face because you, you cut to <laughs> it Jill was and pretty great. You cut to Jill and the others and there's not much wind and for her I mean, it's it, just like a hurricane. Me it made it feel like kind of like authentic, like. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's how your that's hair true. behaves in the wind when you that's have true. long hair like that. That's true. No, I'm not saying not saying I disliked it. But I, 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 that's a good point. Um, it's not good for film. <laughs> I did like when she says something like, you know, I forget what Paul Glum says. Something like, you know, hey, we don't want to say too much about uh, about ourselves. And she says something like, your guide is very wise. And it cuts to Tom Baker, and he's just kind of doing this he's like, like mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just like, like even to, even Paul Glum for a moment was like, oh, maybe she's not so bad. Um, that, that that was really funny. I, so I guess I guess that's a win for you, Jim Fan. It's sort of believable that Puddle Glum for a moment was kind of well. Thanks yeah. for saying Again, that. Again, small, even small though, amounts. Yeah. Okay. You got to take the dialogue out of the equation. Like that. That kind of ruins it. But well, the dialogue is straight from the book. Pretty. Much. I know. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> I, I sort of I sort of disagree with the affect because I felt like she should have played it more. I don't know. Come off as more authentic to kind of fool the children, but but, but the thing is, it also kind of. The whole demeanor of hers is saved, I think, in some ways, because you can very quickly as an audience see, okay, the children are being lured astray by her. And Potoglum is the one like, I wonder what the deal is. Like, she's just out he's here. He's actually with the, thinking. He's just out here with a knight walking around like, who is that guy? Why didn't he say anything? <laughs> That's not normal behavior. Like, And so that whole aspect of it kind of, you sometimes you need a character to voice the, the be the, the voice of reason to voice the obvious it's a very common <laughs> technique in film and books you need some character to voice what the audience is thinking uh sometimes it's a little too obvious you know <laughs> like legless you know with the version oh yes yes we do we did know that but, <laughs> you know? but uh i thought that i i didn't quite appreciate the her acting so much but i did like i guess i appreciated how the scene overall came across because you, mm-hmm. you can see uh, how the kids are being led astray. And even if it's not necessarily believable for them, they are being kind of dumb. It's not like it blew. It didn't take me out of the film is what I would say. Yeah, just after. So they talk to the Lady of the Green Kirtle and the Knight. They talk to the Lady of the Green Kirtle and the Knight. And then they go their separate ways. And the children and Puddlegum are talking for a bit. And there's a bit where then I think Scrub or Jill says, OK, let's go to Harfing. And Puddlegum looks surprised like. Wait, we're gonna actually do that? Are you kidding me? So it's like, okay, so he clearly wasn't taken in. Um, mm. So, and I think and I, I like that. There's a scene shortly before that where they're trying to keep warm in a cave, and Puddle Glum doesn't seem to mind the cold so much. Doesn't seem to mind. You know, I like that he up. sleeps standing up. Yeah, I thought that was like that, that was thing. funny. Thought that was really funny. And again, he and he they can't fall asleep because they're so cold, and Puddle Glum falls asleep. But you're setting up that the promise of hot baths and all that stuff right. would be that bothers Puddle Glum less, so he'd be less likely to be taken in by the Lady of the Green Kirtle. Yeah, I thought that that was pretty well done. So, Rillian, uh, your least favorite thing in episode three <sighs> of the Silver Chair. I'm afraid I don't have anything profound. You both had some really good criticism. I, I like I like yours, Glum. Uh, all the Tom Baker's performance and the differences from the book. Honestly, for me, and this is going to probably sound dumb, but I was thinking about what really just took me out of the whole episode. And it was the whole 
little like 10 second bit where Eustace like just like walks into the hole in the middle of the bridge and like he does his little ah! <laughs> you know it's like it's like I don't know it's like the it's like it's like Barbara <laughs> he has a like scream that wasn't even like that wasn't even like his scream like when he fell off the cliff cliff uh-huh. and that it was like it was it sounded like oh that's I don't remember Jill falling through oh no that is Eustace <laughs> falling through and then they like pull him back up and then it's like uh, they just like keep, I'm like I'm starting to question if Jeffrey Bergen just that that's what he did to record the score. <laughs> they have you, you know, tweak it a good. little bit in the studio. You can make some interesting sounds, you know. Uh, it's like his, the acapella Narnia soundtrack. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Let's no, do I, it. It took. I just hated it, and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. when I was even done with the episode. I thought. That was so dumb. Like, if you're gonna try to add some some suspense, I need to feel some suspense. I thought, was that even in the book? I even read read read. No, it wasn't in the book. They did it to try to make it. Ex- <laughs> they mentioned in the book that, that that there were some holes and there were some cracks they that, that yeah, were they alarming. Some holes, but... but like, okay, if you're gonna try like one of the characters almost die and have a little moment where you know Puddleglum saves his life or something. Yeah, and, you know, it didn't. It didn't, it didn't like, feel like. And then it's like yeah. there's no emotional. So I don't even get any emotional benefit from the cheesiness. You know, and it makes you wonder if it was all with all with doubles or something like that because you really don't get any that's close-ups true. or anything. The, right. Yeah, that's that's true. You wonder if it was something they just added in later. Like, hey, we need to spice up this scene, you know? But you're right. You feel very uh, very emotionally distant from it. When you have one of our main characters is hanging for his life, and you're just kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> Like, look, I have all kinds of criticisms of the Melting River scene, but they did try to play up character development in the midst of it. They tried, they, 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 they wanted it. They wanted it to serve a purpose and to try to develop characters. See, and just, you're, so you're talk, talking about the melting river scene and, 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 Wal- and Walden's line, the witch in the wardrobe. Yeah. Walden's line, the witch in the wardrobe. They have dialogue with the beaver and with the wolf and with Peter and trying to become more courageous. It's not good, but it does serve a purpose. Lewis could have written something where one of them almost falls, but at least develop it a little bit. It, it was just so cheesy, not just in the execution, but the aftermath. Like they just immediately pretended it didn't even happen. And I'm thinking, no, that would actually shake you up, you know, no matter who you are. And so I just didn't, I didn't like that. And it took me out of the film or, or the show more than any other single moment. And so mm. it it's a small thing, but it was just things like that. It just bugged me. Like that moment just took me out of the whole thing. That, that's a very good point about it being just really emotionally distant during that scene. But yeah, I think and maybe to add to that, I I mainly remember the scene fondly because I was just impressed that I thought uh, the composite looked pretty good. Um, like, I, I, like that shot of the bridge where you can see the water through the hole. Right. I was just kind of going... Like I, I I watched it for a few seconds where I went, oh, wait a second, that, that, that's got to be an effect shot. Um, so, but if that's where my focus was, it means I wasn't caught up in the story, obviously. Right. Um, so that, that's a fair point. Your favorite thing about this episode? My favorite thing is I felt like they were willing with the pacing and the cinematography to let you just kind of be in Narnia. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was actually kind of in the world uh, in some ways kind of for the first time. Hmm. I, I, part, sometimes I was just like, "Come on, I know they can do a wide shot. Just give me a wide shot. Let me let me just kind of see some stuff." When you find writing on a stone, do what that writing tells you to do. When you find writing on a stone, do what that writing tells you to do. When you find writing on a stone, do what that writing tells you to do. Thank you.
even though um, in some ways not a whole lot happens in the episode, I didn't feel bored. And I felt like it was kind of necessary to kind of absorb the world. And I felt like it was one of the first episodes where you're kind of like, okay, they're actually like, this is a real world. They're actually in like a, a real place. And that's what I kind of appreciated most. And it really kind of from, from Harfang to the letter E to the, the bridge and all of that, I appreciated how it, it kind of, be, it starts to really become its own world. Cause let's be honest when, and this is especially like, if you spent time in the UK, like it's kind of watching the first episode. Okay. They're in the experiment house and then they're Jill is at like a big hill not uh-huh. really cliff Ooh, and wow. so it, it, it's not even like they don't even do a composite thing to make it look like a supernaturally big cliff like it is in the book it's like oh those aren't sheep those are cloud, ginormous clouds yeah. yeah um so it's it's kind of hard to feel like they're really in a different place from just some other place in england right. um but here i felt like okay with the big bridge and with Harvard, i feel like they're actually kind of in narnia and that we're it, becoming immersed in the world and so i i appreciated that probably the most about this episode I would generally agree, and I would, as far as just getting to see more of the world and the atmosphere, um, there's a probably visually the most impressive shot of all the BBC movies. It's just after uh, the cave scene where the kid the kids are cold. It's shortly after that, just a spectacular zoom where the camera starts oh, at the bottom. On the well, it's like no, it's uh, it's before the bridge. No, no, so it's um, it's just after the cave. So I think yeah, I think it's before the bridge. But they, the camera starts at the bottom of a hill, and it kind of pans up, and then it zooms into the top of the hill. And mm-hmm. just as it zooms in, you see the three travelers appear over the top of the hill. Like that must have required a lot of precise coordination mm-hmm. um, to get them to come over the hill just at that moment. I was like, "Whoa, this feels like such a big real world." Um, and uh, I mean, it probably just speaks to the main reason why the silver chair is. If you got to do a low budget Narnia adaptation, the silver chair is the one to do. This landscape suits the story really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I I would agree about just having more of a sense of the world. I wonder with Jim Fan, were you kind of for you maybe that translated more to could we get on with this? Um, I think so. <laughs> yeah, it if you don't feel like you're just like okay, we're just like walking through the the fields of wherever, you know, like it's not super distinctive except for the bridge that was like. That felt like a place, but other than that, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of what Peter Jackson said about uh, some of the uh, the traveling scenes in Fellowship of the Ring, where he talks about how like the the, the travel and all of its detail, just walking, you know, is so evocative mm-hmm. in the book. But it, you know, in the movie, we said, well, okay, we're we're gonna pick our favorite three shots of Frodo yep. and Sam walking, and that's about all we can do. Um, yeah, and you gotta have a, I gotta have a really good musical score to make a montage, which is what they did, and it's. <laughs> Effect and there's basically like one, yeah, like one really like two walking montages is the Hobbits and Strider basically, and then there's uh-huh. like the whole Fellowship and that's kind of it. Is that about what most you can do? Yeah, but that, that's such so a big much. part of the book. It is unfortunate that the musical score wasn't better. There's some old movies that have really good musical scores and old shows, and especially because like one of my favorite pieces of music done for any Narnia bit is the BBC Tumnus theme. Yeah. It's really good, yeah. and I still like it better than the Walden uh, one by Harry Gregson Williams. Um, even though that was also good, it was it, it going for a different feel. But I really like the uh, the bit with uh, from that. It's just kind of unfortunate that I didn't see more. We don't hear more creative stuff from 
the mm-hmm. artist. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I I remember liking. I mean, I love the main theme of BBC. That's great. It's so iconic. It's very iconic. And I think like he, he is his score is great in Line the Witch in the Wardrobe. It, this almost sounds. I wonder how much of this is just copy pasted. You wonder, or if he just didn't have time or something. Like, hey man, you've got three weeks. Um, but overall thoughts, I enjoyed this episode. Um, I think it's solid. I mean, I, I, it's not like I'm going to recommend this to somebody who hasn't read the book necessarily. I, if someone says, hey, I'm looking for a great fantasy series to binge, what do you recommend? I'm not going to say, have you seen BBC's The Silver Chair? Episode three is really especially great. <laughs> but, no, but with that kind of... But for me, as a Narnia fan watching this, I enjoyed it. And there were only a few things I could... Nitpicky things here and there that bothered me. I thought it worked. this episode worked as a self-contained episode about, you know, they early on in the story, in this episode, okay, Jill is struggling to remember the signs and she's trying to repeat it to herself and she's struggling to remember. And then the snow starts and the Lady of the Green Kirtle comes along and takes her eye totally off the ball. And then so you can see she's not paying attention to the signs anymore. And then the big climax where they look over and they see under me, that's the big, oh no, Jill wasn't paying attention to the signs. And now look where they are. So I thought this was a, this told a little self-contained story about Jill's trying to focus on the signs. She gets distracted and there are consequences ends on a nice cliffhanger where you're, uh, got to watch the next episode to see how they get out of Harfang. One of the better things about that is in the book, because she misses the first sign and then she uh, misses this sign in the book, the first sign, when she misses the first sign, you kind of feel it in this one. It's almost like it's played like it's Eustace's fault in the show. She goes, Oh, you didn't tell me. So we missed the first sign. You didn't tell me about your friend Caspian, you know? And so yeah, she even yells at her, you, maybe. we missed the first sign. But whereas, uh, this one, you kind of, is the first time you feel the consequences, like you should, like it is in the book, that, uh-oh. Yeah. Um, we just made it oopsies. I think I, I think so. Like, uh, that dream scene, which um, kind of mixed feelings about the dream scene on the whole. It's a little dramatic. Go away. Tell me the signs. Please forgive me. Please. You know what happens if you cannot remember the signs. Child. Please. I guess I'm glad they didn't try to get the uh, really great visual from the book of Aslan carrying Jill in his mouth. Uh, I guess I'm glad they did not attempt that. (laughs) Can you imagine? Camilla Powers is probably happy too. Um, but, But, you know... Decently it's, effective. It's, it's, sometimes it's kind of weird when, like, because, like, they tried to, to be fair to them. They tried to keep it true to the book, having the big, I think it was a rabbit. What was in the book? Was it a rabbit that turns into Aslan? It was a toy. It was a toy, some, was it a toy horse or something? It's a toy horse in the book. A toy horse turns into Aslan. They tried to keep it kind of like that. This looks like a cat, <laughs> I think. But this ended up being like, she's on LSD. They <laughs> put something in her mood. Like, What's she happening? She is tripping was. out, you know? There was something nasty at the bottom. Puddle Gun was right. Oh. <laughs> it's like, well, no, no one ever, but, when you have a bad dream, I hope you don't. Thrash around like that. Uh, he, she did drink bottle glum stuff. She drank that <laughs> juice. They haven't set it up that there's a toy horse in the room, or there's a, in this case a toy cat in the room. So it's kind of like, what the heck is this? Why are they using a fish eye lens to show this? What is it right in my face? Whereas obviously in the book, you, you know, Lewis in his narration can explain, oh, uh, the toy horse came to life and all that. Yeah, this episode, like I could sit here and nitpick, but it it worked for me. Told a little story. Um, 
Yeah, I liked it. Uh, when they w- little detail when they fell into the trench, I tried to I I watched that scene a couple times, and I think it does make sense. It does look like they're in a letter E. It's hard to tell, but I'm pretty sure it right. looks like they kind of thought that out, and it looks like they could be no, in the letter I, yeah, E. No, I agree. If you look like they're going through, it, 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 the problem is the camera angles is sometimes like it's like a still shot when they're looking down. It just like shows, but but it, they do they are actually in a letter E. In the um, book, they're not... in the they're in the E. Yeah, they're in the E and me. Um, uh-huh. the way they say in the book, and I, I like that. This is probably done for practical reasons, but I like that they, they switch to uh, the camera being handheld once they're down in the trench. Mm. I thought that, yeah, I, I thought that, that. that's that's thought that mm. that suited the scene really nicely. I must say also, like when the the snow starts, even though it's clearly just them just dumping you know powder in front of the lens. I still just I felt cold. I thought it, it was believable. Yeah, it was believable. Like I thought in just Jill, you know, there's a part of me that like I talked about, I think, in the last episode where it's like, why doesn't Jill just write them down or something? And really, and you were talking about, well, it's more about it's more about really dwelling on them and really giving the science her attention. And I thought that came through really well in this episode that Jill is like letting all these distractions take her eye off the ball mm-hmm. and was believe oh it's cold and she can't see what's going on and she just wants yeah. to get inside and whatever that it's kind of shown through. here that she it's not that she oh yeah i can't remember them all of a sudden is that she doesn't care to try to recall them at this point she has right. other priorities let me see if there's a couple other things i want to mention before we adjourn um i thought it was funny uh puddle glum when he you know he takes a few big sips of that whatever it is that, that the giant gives him <laughs> And he's saying, he says something like, you know, this will be a test. You know not to give, you'll, you'll know not to take anything they give you if I turn into a a, a, a marshwiggle. Which, which in the book, he just says, I think he just says a frog in the book. But I think it's funnier if he says, if I turn oh. into a marshwiggle, don't trust them. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, sure. I kind of wonder if Tom Baker said that. I didn't that by, note the discrepancy. That's funny. That, I like that. I kind of wonder if Tom Baker um, said that by accident. They're like, ah, oh, you know what? That's pretty funny. Let's actually keep it. And lastly, like I said at the beginning, I liked this cliffhanger. Um, I thought this was this work. This is a great place in the episode because you're just left wondering what are they gonna do now and what are the what are the consequences gonna be for Jill yeah. not heeding the signs. So, um, I I don't have a lot of negative things to say about this episode. I, yeah, this is probably the best episode of BBC so far, even including the other ones. Um, okay, I did. I, mean, I had you, to see. You this seem less. In, you seem less enthused, Jim. <laughs> fan, did you have the reaction I did? Did you enjoy it as much? No, as I, I was did? just. I had. I had to think about that because I was like, I mean, that's a bold claim. So, but I'm like, I don't think you're wrong. Yeah, I mean, it. I mean, it was good, and it. I liked it a lot more once they got to the giants because, like you, like you guys have been saying, like the the parts with the giants were done really well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I've been in a silver chair. I mean, what's not to love? Uh huh. <laughs> um. So where do we think the next? Actually, I'm pretty sure I know where the next episode is going to end. Um. If you guys don't remember, I guess I won't spoil it for you. I mean, I think I remember too. Unless it's an, a different edit, I could have seen a different. It edit. could always be. <laughs> um. But I, I'm pretty sure they're on the 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 sunless sea. Yeah. Uh, like, when this next episode get on ends, it and they're sailing off into the sunless sea. Yeah. So, uh, all right, BBC, uh, let's see how you do with Underland. It's just a bunch of darkness. <laughs> three episodes down, three to go. We hope you will join us next week. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of Talking Beast, the Narnia podcast. Visit narniweb.com to join our community and stay up to date on the latest Narnia news. Please post a comment or question below or in the Talking Beast Facebook group. Special thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our Knights of Narnia Web. Until next time, further up and further in. Further in.